Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded podcast, the companion podcast to digitallydownloaded.net. I am Max, and I am the editor dude of that their website. And with us this week, we have Trent. Hello, Trent. Hello. And do I Bobby. have some catchy typeface? No, <laughs> uh, you're you're just a word slave. That's what you are. <laughs> word slave. <laughs> <laughs> That's your title. Uh, <laughs> and we wow, also have Harvey. Was, hello, Harvey. Hello, hello, that was very dark. I hope I'm, uh, I like to think I contribute more than. Well, I mean, you do all the <laughs> you do all the articles for the for the digitally uh, the 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 DDZ. And if I didn't have you writing all those wonderful articles, then I'd have nothing in that magazine. I can tell you. So, uh, it's yes, weird um, that I'm a word slave and I haven't written anything for a while. So just putting that out there. <laughs> That's my that's my hint to you, Trent. That's my hint to you. <laughs> get get to work. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, what have you been playing, guys? What what's been on your agenda this last week? I mean, I know what we've all been playing. We're going to be talking about it through most of the podcast, but uh, I mean, have you been playing anything except for the Pokemans? Uh, Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. Still. Yes. Still going. You might, need an interve- you might need an intervention. You might need an intervention. Well, all my all my friends got it for Christmas, so. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, that it's is a, nice. It's a social game for you now. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound like you're enjoying it. You sound like you sound like you're being forced into playing it against your will. It's still an addiction. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. Well, I've redone my island like again. I will say the thing that made me stop playing that game was I had some friends, nothing against them, but they were really into the game. They knew how to do all like the fun things and do all the landscaping and everything. And I just like a little trash island with weeds everywhere. And I thought it was pretty good. But visiting their islands made me really self-conscious. And so I stopped playing. And I wonder <laughs> if it's like that for anyone who gets the game now. Is like they start the game with a little tiny, cute one-star island and they go to their friend's palace and they go, wow. Well, isn't, isn't that isn't that aspirational? Isn't that like, oh, look at what you can be? You just need to spend enough hours working for Tom Nook. Look at what <laughs> look at what could be. If only oh, real life was whole, like that. Going into the yeah, whole if, only, if, if, metaphor again. <laughs> if only, if only, if only, if <laughs> only, like real life. All right, let's go to some music. Let's go to some Hatsune Miku music, and then we'll come back. And we have a absolute ton of games to talk about the stuff that's coming out next month.
welcome back. All right, so there's already a lot of games coming out, which is concerning as somebody that has 11 months of reviews ahead of me until the next break. Um, and February is, is just packed. So we'll run quickly through them. And then if we have time, we'll get our thoughts about which of these we're actually looking forward to. So on the PlayStation 4, we have the Sealed Ampoule comes out on February 2. don't know anything about it, but it has a nice little graphic there. So I'm just calling that out right now. Um, that's just the first game that comes out on the PlayStation 4 this month. Uh, but then on February 4, the first, I guess, exciting game, the first one that's probably worth looking forward to if you're into your Japanese games, is Magnum Lord. That is coming out. That's a D3 published RPG. P-Cubes localized it in the West, and I can't talk about it just yet. I am playing it. Um, so look forward to my review of that. Then you've got Oli Oli World comes out on February 8th. And I know quite a few people are looking forward to that one. They like the previous Oli Oli World. And is that, the, that like the little yellow ball that bounces around? No, no, that's a little skateboarding one. Oh, Oli Oli. Oh, what was I thinking yeah. about? Oli Oli is good too. Yeah, Oli Oli is a very well-regarded little indie game, Devolver Digital published one, all that kind of stuff. So that comes out on February 8th on PlayStation. Then we're scrolling through, we're skipping through some that I probably should mention, but I'm not going to. Another JRPG comes out on February 10, Edge of Eternity. Again, can't talk about that just yet. I am playing it for review. Um, so it is a it is a JRPG in the traditional mold of people. It's designed for people, I guess, that liked the Final Fantasies on the PlayStation 1 era, that kind of throwback game effort. Uh, also, coming up. there are a lot. Also on February 10, and this is one that Harvard's playing, but can't talk about just yet. Yeah, I can't Rise, talk about it. <laughs> Rise of the Third Power. That's coming out on PlayStation as well. That is, well, it is- Also it, a retro JRPG, yeah. Yeah, it is a retro JRPG. It does have an interest, interesting concept because uh, the third power that it's referring to there is a reference to <laughs> the, the third power from a certain period of German history. So, um, it's going to be really interesting to see just how that game handles such a dense topic, especially within the context of a retro style JRPG. Who knows? Could be trash, might be interesting. Um, on February 14, another game that has an interesting title and graphic, don't know much about it, If Infernax. Infernax is the adventures of a great knight who returns to his homeland only to find it plagued with unholy magic. So crusaders and stuff, I think it's tapping into that kind of vibe. And yeah, could be interesting. On February 15, we've got Dynasty Warriors 9 Empires, which is my preferred sub-genre of Empires games. So, oh, sorry, of the Dynasty Warriors games. So Empires is kind of a blend of strategy and combat, action combat. So it, it's, it's an interesting blend when it works, and I'm definitely looking forward to sinking my teeth into that one. If you're into your fighting games, on February 17, you've got King of Fighters 15, which is going yeah. to be great because Athena's in it. And Athena is one of the top tier characters in all fighting game history. So there you go. That's all I care about, to be honest. Um, I get to <laughs> You mean top tier in terms of aesthetics, right? So yes. I, don't think, I don't think she's ever been like competitively good. Oh, no, I don't care about those things. I just care about, <laughs> I just care about how good <laughs> she looks in her swimwear. Um, <laughs> let's be honest here. That's why I play my fighting games. Anyway, that's... King of Fighters is obviously a very well-regarded fighting game, especially with the hardcore fighting game fans. 
and this one will no doubt appease them. It's been the first. It's been the first King of Fighters for a while, isn't it? The last one was quite a ways back on the PlayStation Four. Um, so. The number used to be how many, what the year was. So right. that's that's what we're talking about. Actually, yeah. no, I'm wrong. Never mind. <laughs> no, it has been 13, quite a few I think, years. came out in 2013. So yeah, that's yeah, gotcha. one every two years. About yep, gotcha. One every right. five years. Sorry. So the big Sony comes out on February 18, Horizon Forbidden West. If you're into Horizon, then you're probably going to enjoy this one, I would imagine. I can't imagine that they would screw that up. Um, and yeah, can't talk about that, embargoes and all that. Uh, we've got Monster Crown on February 22. That looks like a Pokemon thing, which is cool. If anybody is well and truly over Pokemon by the time February 22 rolls around or doesn't have a, I guess, a Nintendo, because that is on PlayStation. Here's the interesting one for me, I guess, in February. Monarch comes out on February 22. Now, Monarch looks like an incredibly dark version of the Caligula effect. It's got, a, it's got a similar aesthetic. So if you've seen the Caligula effect, then you'll see it. But it's a, a much darker, more high contrast version of that. It is by the director of Crystar, which was one of the more underappreciated JRPGs of the last generation. And... It has a pretty smart concept. I did an interview with this guy last year. And yeah, he's a thinker. So if his thinking is in the game, and it was in Chrysler, so I have no reason to believe it's not in Monarch, then Monarch is definitely one you want to look out for. You can actually play a demo right now as well. So if you're interested, you can check that out. On February 25, we've got Atelier Sophie 2, The Alchemist of the Mysterious Dream coming out. So there you go. I can talk about that briefly since I have done a preview of it, and it's an absolute delight. If you like your Ateliers, then this is a more traditional one than the kind of more experimental side that Riser was. And yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a cracking game, I think. Moving on, more JRPGs. <laughs> Elden Ring comes out on February 25, which is Oh my be... God, no. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Once you've finished with Sophie and Monarch and all the other JRPGs we just mentioned, then you can jump into the light and easygoing Elden Ring. Uh, that, that's the Dark Souls game <laughs> by the guy that. horrific month, Matt. I know, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be very No wonder I need to be a work life. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm going to push it all onto you, Trent. You're going to be doing all these games, just so you know that. I'm, I'm giving you a advance. I think more than half the games just talked about are RPGs in some form. Yeah, and they're all going to last 60 hours. They're this all going to be 40 hours. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> we played every hour of February. We wouldn't finish. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be some very blurry eyes. But yeah, Elden Ring is obviously a game that people are very much looking forward to for very good reason. Uh, I did play the network test last year and it is going to it is going to do well, I think. Very well indeed. So that's just the PlayStation 4 on the PlayStation 5. Let's see if there's anything that hasn't actually, if there's anything exclusive to the PS5. Uh nope, 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 nope. I had I didn't realize that Horizon was also a PS4 game. There we go. <laughs> I just realized that I said that it is a PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 release. I did not realize that. Um, I thought it was a PS5 exclusive. So here we go. Uh, Here's one. Uh, So the PlayStation 5 does get a, well, I guess it would be just a port or an upgrade, but Assetto Corsa Competizion. I can't say that. Um, That's the racing game, really. Um, Very fast cars racing game. Very serious simulation, that one, unlike a lot of the other ones. That one's for the really hardcore racing game fans. And it's actually really good. I did play it on PlayStation 4. 
I um, would be interested to see what the upgrade looks like on PlayStation 5 because one of the things that did was so great about that game was it was real car porn. <laughs> it was it was gorgeous. Like the the effort they did into modeling the cars and the movement on the track was pretty impressive. So yeah, I'm looking I want to, to like how car that... games, but I just want to admit that I just pressed the A button. I don't break in car games. Well, that's yes. Why I'm <laughs> that's, my driver tires basically like drives people off the road because that's how I break. I'm like, oh, I need a break at this corner, runs into the person to push them into like the corner. So I've got enough slowdown to <laughs> drive can I, off. Can I tell you, Trent, uh, a set of Corsa is probably not for you. <laughs> that's, that is not going to do, you're, you're not going to enjoy that one so much. Um, but there is another racing game, and I think this might also come out on PS4, and I just skipped over it, but Grid Legends comes out on PlayStation 5 as well on February 25, and Grid is a pretty well-regarded racing game property. So also there we hardcore. go. It's a bit more forgiving, I guess, but it's not like Forza Horizon. Right, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and then just quickly, because we probably won't mention it in the next podcast, because it happens on March 1, so very last day, I guess, or the very first day of the next month, Elex 2 comes out on PlayStation 5 as well. Elex is a Euro Trash um, RPG, Western RPG. It was great fun. Like, it was one of those B-grade um, buggy as anything, but had a heart and soul to its uh, RPGs on the PlayStation 4. So I am actually really looking forward to giving that a go on PlayStation 5. Um, and yeah. So moving on to the Switch. Let's see if there's anything different coming out on the Switch. Go run through the rest of the games coming out on in January. God, the Switch gets a lot of games. A lot of games. Am I looking at the wrong thing? I'm looking at the new releases. I've got to I've got to go and pull up the um the right list here. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Coming I mean, soon. Everyone's going to be playing Pokemon next month anyway. It is true. It is true. Everybody will be playing the Pokemons for at least another month. Um, sorry about this. New releases coming soon. Now I've clicked the right thing. Here we go. That's better. Now I'm looking at February. Not January lists. All right. So on the Switch, we have... A lot of stuff to scroll through first. Sherlock Holmes, Crimes and Punishments comes out on February 3. That's a port of a PlayStation 4 game. That's a Frogwares Sherlock Holmes thing, which Frogwares generally does a pretty good job with Sherlock Holmes. I can't remember if I've played this one in particular, but I have played other ones that they've done and I've enjoyed them. So there we go. Um, on February 3, there's a game called The Hundred Year Kingdom. Coming out, don't know what it is. Looks like an anime game. Might be a Kimco thing, actually. So let's just skip past that. They're very deceptive, aren't they? They like they look good until you see the gameplay. Well, they always have decent character art. You know, the the character art is is fine, and that's what they display on their little titles. And then you click on them, and oh yeah, RPG maker. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they get me a lot. They always get me on the Switch thing because I'm scrolling through the. The, the releases, and then I'm like, oh, this is interesting, and then click and oh, it's Kimco. Okay, so on February 8, Death End Request 2 comes out on Switch. That is a port of a Idea Factory game that was previously released on PlayStation 4, and it's good. It's very, very good, actually. It's a blend of horror-style visual novel and RPG, turn-based RPG, and it does represent 
the more creative end of Idea Factory. You get a bit of fan service in there, of course, because it is Idea Factory, but it is mostly uh, more serious effort at creating an RPG for a broader audience, and it's pretty good. I do like it. Uh, oh, so the Switch gets all the Kingdom Hearts games in February. They all get released. Oh, the cloud on, versions, though. Yeah, the cloud versions of it. So you can play Kingdom Hearts 3, Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 plus 2.5 Remix cloud version, and Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue cloud version. Don't forget, if you're going to... see the full name of the last one. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, if you're well, going to get into Kingdom Hearts, you need to play all of them in order and then also delve deeply into the lore and probably read about 20 different websites as well as play the mobile game that doesn't exist any longer and also play the rhythm game, which has just come out last year. If you want to make any sense of what any of those games are about, good luck. Now you can play them on the cloud as, a go, as you go. Um, yeah, I don't like Kingdom Hearts. Do cloud games even work properly in Australia? Or- they do. They do. They do. The, the cloud, I've got, I've got the cloud edition of that Australian game that was released on Switch. Um, the the one that was set in Rome, the mod of the... Oh, uh, Forgotten City. Yeah, the Forgotten City. That's the one I'm thinking of. I played the cloud version of that on Switch, and it's good. It works very well uh, on my MBN. Actually, it works well on the 4G connection as well, to be honest, on my phone when I tether it. So you'll be right. Not going to invest in uh, Kingdom Hearts, though. That's like way too many hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And don't, don't knock it till you try it. No, you, not you that absolutely, bad. absolutely. Kingdom Hearts, you can knock it till you try it. <laughs> Just don't bother. I, I honestly, there's no, there's no series I recommend less than the Kingdom Hearts series because it's a rabbit hole. You just don't want to go down. There's, there's no payoff to it. There's, there's just yeah, but you keep thinking that there will be. That's the, that's the joy it just, of it all. It just rolls on and on and never stops. And it's just like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a case of diminishing returns. You're putting more hours into getting less entertainment out of it. I don't like it. Moving on, February 10 gets Eglia Rebirth on the Switch. That's the, what's the name of the developer? Brownie Brown? The obscenely talented Japanese artist company. They make the most beautiful games. I'm pretty sure I did not like Eglia on the mobile, but Rebirth suggests that it's going to be fixed, um, and that's fine. I'll give it another go anyway because it is such I a pretty love thing. Brownie Brown. It's such a pretty thing. Shorts? Yeah, they're so good, but they also so release not many games. Yes, they do take their time to work on stuff, so that's all right. Um, what else we got? Derpy Kong- Conga comes out on February 10. Did you say Derpy Conga? Yeah, that's what I said. What the hell is this game, Matt? I don't know. I, I said it now, you've got to put footage in the, the video version of the podcast. <laughs> if, 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 it's not a, if it's not a game where it's like a Conga game, but it's like um, the, one of those games where it's like, you know, everything's like physics based. So you have to do Conga, uh, it's like derpy. That's why I imagine the yeah. game is based off the title. If it and looking that, at the looking looking at the the art that I see here, yeah, that's pretty much what it is, Trent. So good guess. Hmm. You know the games industry. Uh, on February ten, Ocean Hearts come out, and Ocean Hearts Heart is an epic top-down action RPG, an indie yeah, RPG, a Zelda clone, I'm sure. Um, sorry, what was that, Hubbard? I'm saying there's more of them. Though it's not even the first Zelda clone to be named Ocean something. We already have Ocean Horn. I know. Everybody seems to love Wind Waker that much. They want to do it in their own <laughs> game. They just want to do the indie version of it. Um, oh, there's another Kingdom Hearts. Did not know that. 
what the hell is Kingdom Hearts Integrum Masterpiece for Cloud? Oh, that's all of them together. They've called it Integrum Masterpiece because they can't use obscure words enough for Kingdom Hearts. God, I hate that series. Um, what else? I bet got? like the whole Masterpiece is going to have like secret footage at the very end just to mess with you. Moving on, Dynasty Warriors 9 comes out. Uh, Dynasty Warriors 9 Empires comes out on Switch on February 15th as well. You can play it on the Switch on the go if you want. If you're into your Assassin's Creed, you may remember there was a time where Assassin's Ooh. Creed wasn't terrible. Uh, and Assassin's Creed, exactly. the Ezio, yeah, the Ezio collection comes out on Switch on February nice. 17th. That's really fast. Yeah, I quite, like, I quite like that one. I've got all the other Assassin's Creeds that they have released on Switch. Like I've got the Assassin's, 3, the Assassin's Creed 3 collection was it? And then Black Flag and Rogue together. So I've got the full yeah. three trilogy sitting there. I would rather like the chance to play through the Ezio collection again. So having it on Switch makes a lot of sense. It's a good console, I think, for, for that level of Assassin's Creed. And that was back when they were good anyway. They've got terrible since. I shouldn't say that. I still give them good reviews, but I'm very much yeah, out of love with, with Ubisoft these days. They just need a syndicate remake. And then wrapping up the Switch on March 1, so it is kind of next month technically, but again, we probably won't get a chance to mention it in the podcast since the dates probably won't align. The Cruel King and the Great Hero comes out on Switch on March 1. That is uh, the Nipponichi, or uh, it's not a sequel, but it's in the same style uh, as a fairy tale puzzle platformer that Nipponichi did. Uh, a couple oh, of years Liar ago. King and the Blind Prince. That's the one I was thinking of. The Liar King and the... Sorry. The Blind... The Liar King and the Blind Prince or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah something like that. <laughs> it was good. I can't remember the title of it, but it was actually very enjoyable. Quite, kind Is of subversive. The, the Wolf and the Girl? Yes. No, yeah, the Wolf and the Girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one. And yeah, this will be similar. Similar art style. Probably a similar twist on the fairy tale aesthetic and storytelling style. So yeah, I'll give it a go. I'm looking forward to playing that as well. Right, so that was quite the list. That was quite a lot of games. If you, Especially if you're a fan of your JRPGs or RPGs or big blockbusters or indie games, then you're covered next month. We do have time to quickly get our thoughts on which ones we're actually going to play. So we'll start with you, Harvey. Tell us which game, you get one, which game does interest you the most? If you could only play one game in February, which of those are you going to play? I honestly think that if we added together every JRPG's hour count, we'd surpass the hours of February. So <laughs> You're probably right. Being being realistic here, I think I will play Derby Conquer. <laughs> Derby Conquer. It's the game I'm most likely to play. Because I'll buy all the JRPG's and not start them. But Derby Conquer, <laughs> I'll play for like 15 minutes and I'll be like, this is trash. But at least I will have played it. <laughs> fair, fair cool. <laughs> Uh, Trent, what about you? One game. I'll probably still be playing Pokemon and Animal Crossing. But if I do get around to the ga a game, I'll probably um, look into that um, that Wolf Girl sequel thing. Oh, yeah. The King and the Great Hero. Well, the good thing That's is... That's a very that memorable name. The, the last one, the, uh, that little mini-series, if you want to call it that, was quite short. It was only a couple of hours long, which was nice. More games that are short like that are good, if you ask me. Um, as for me, it's definitely Monarch, I think. 
uh, of all of those RPGs that are getting released. Um, and I do say that- That's very high praise. Yeah, knowing that I really love, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of the Souls game, so I'm very much looking forward to the Elden Ring and I'm a very big fan of the Atelier series. So of course, I'm really looking forward to Sophie too. I still think that Monarch is the one that's catching my attention the most. Just the, the aesthetic is just so good. And it just has such a high concept that if they can execute on it, it may well be one of my favorite games of all time. It may well be one of those Caligula effect things that I just can't shut up about and don't stop recommending to people, even though it's like super Indian stuff uh, by the JRPG genre standards, it could, it could just be one of those games that sticks with me. So that is my thoughts, Monarch.
and welcome back everybody all right so we're going to be talking about one game in particular this podcast because it is a game that we are all playing it is a game that has been generating hot opinions across the internet and we always know that when people have hot opinions on the internet that it is um it is obviously a, it is obviously a game <laughs> they're, they're interesting opinions anyway um pokemon's Pokemon Arceus. Is that how you pronounce it? Is that the way we're pronouncing it? Arceus? That's how I've, I've been pronouncing it. I've always said Arceus, but I'll say Arceus just for you, Matt. Okay. Well, that's what we're going with. That's the style guide here. We're, talking, we're calling it Arceus, but in your head, if you sound it out as Arceus, then there you go. Just, yeah. That's the game we're talking about. Um, and yeah, it's, it's great, isn't it? I think that's the first thing we'll start with. Let's talk about how great it is. It is very great. <laughs> I actually, I'm not playing it. I'm going to skip oh, you're it not until playing the discourse it. is dying down. I'm not playing it. I did I watch some of it on the stream. No, I, I was think... playing, I was midway through an old Pokemon game. I'm actually playing Silver on my old 3DS virtual console. So right. once I'm done with the content, I will wean myself off the series. And once I feel the urge to come back to it, I will probably play it, but not right now. Okay. But Legends is the best starting point if you've abandoned the series because it's I've all the cool told. new ideas and it's like, this is where we're going to go, hopefully, unless they're stupid and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it does look very cool. Um, I did watch some of it on Alan's stream and I do like how excited people are getting about this new game because Pokemon on the mainline series can be a bit stagnated, like you know what's coming ahead and it's very by the numbers and this one they get that sense of wonder that you used to get from the original games when they were brand new so yeah this one this one is wildly different (laughs) to to the other pokemon games to the point that some of the discourse that i've seen and we all know the quality of the discourse around pokemon games but some of the discourse has been whether this is really a pokemon game or yeah a main pokemon game or it's a spin-off as such it is a main Pokemon game as far as I'm concerned, but um, it is interesting that it is that different, that that is the conversation that people are having about it, uh, or at least well, some people are having Well, in terms of it being a main Pokemon game, like there was like a picture they posted on their Twitter, like socials and stuff like that, which was like, when did you join Pokemon sort of thing? And it had all the mainline Pokemon games, and then it was like Pokemon Legends right at the oh, end. Yeah, Like they're definitely thinking that it's, the way to go and the latest thing so yeah and Sly, let's yeah yeah and i mean that was always the thing you know that it's a different they have a different texture to releases when they release a remake or a spin-off or something like i remember when pokemon let's go got released and that is very much a, a spin-off um the just the treatment of it from a pr marketing and all that kind of thing perspective was very different so this one, yeah, it is definitely a main line Pokemon game. And as Trent says, the what it kind of implies about the future of Pokemon is interesting because this is a very different game. Um, I think- Yeah, they're definitely experimenting with what they mean by mainline. Even when you mentioned Let's Go, I think that the intention there was to treat it like a mainline game, but also make a lot of changes to the formula. Yeah. Yeah, well, that one was kind of a vague remake of the original Pokemon, but yeah, this one, this one's a new, it's not a new setting, it's the uh, same setting as Pokemon Pearl and Diamond, 
and there are references to that, but it is set so far in the past that they've creatively freed themselves up to do basically whatever they want. And what we get from it is this open world approach to Pokemon, which vaguely feels like Monster Hunter in terms of its structure. And that's all good. It's interesting. Um, I, I went in without having any kind of real expectations. I'd only seen a couple of little video clips. I knew enough to know that it was Piplups in the game and that was enough to get my interest. But other than that, I wasn't too, I was on a kind of a PR and marketing blank because I like to go into big games like this fresh or without expectations. And I wasn't expecting it to be quite so big, <laughs> so open worldy and have that monster hunter vibe yeah well definitely with the early like media and stuff like that it's sort of like they kept a lot under their chest and it's like well you know is this going to be like a shortish game or is this going to be more like you know there was open areas in sword and shield but they were sort of you know they're nowhere near as big as even the the starting area like this is on a grand scale these open areas and you know, the open areas in Sword and Shield are nothing compared to what they've done in this. That's yeah, I mean, I having having the things say you got to go to this big tree kind of as your next destination, and then you're standing at the top of a mountain looking, and you can barely see the big tree in the far distance. Um, it certainly gives you a really strong sense of scale, and it does take a long time to get places. I must say, I'm only I'm only what about seven or eight hours into the game, so I'm not. I haven't got the kind of a lot, a lot of the travel options and whatever to to speed my progress up, but yeah, yeah, I, I did not expect it to be so large. I'm probably a little bit further than you, Matt. I'm up to like the fourth clickable area. Yeah, no, you're you're way, yeah. way way further <laughs> down 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 the track than me. Yeah. So I mean, I, I I only got my first Psyduck last night, so. That was a nice thing, but Psyduck's a pretty uh, early Pokemon. Up to the area, are you yet? <laughs> no, I haven't got a Piplup yet. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, the game's still a zero out of five game <laughs> until I get a Piplup. I love that everyone's entering the game with their one specific Pokemon they're trying to find, and they're just not going to rest until they search for it in this giant <laughs> landscape. Like I was watching Alan panic about not being able to find his feel, and it's very <laughs> funny to me. It's good times. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, It's really interesting because I really hated Diamond and Pearl. Like, for me, when I was a kid, Diamond and Pearl was where I was up to, where I was starting to get tired of the series. Like, it felt mechanically smart, but it just seemed really condensed and a lot involved in the game and just way too much, like, brain space for it. And I just, like, it felt like a chore to slodge through Diamond and Pearl. And then Mm. the remakes came out, and I'm like, it's, like, just the same thing again. And, yeah, this is, like, bringing back that original you know oh i'm going over here and it just feels great to explore and like all the areas and landscapes look you know graphics is another discourse in terms of you know how good the graphics are in it but some areas still look pretty amazing like you know for the last like in sword and shield i kind of started to get that like there's like that little mushroomy like fairy sort of cave area and i thought that looks really really cool um like there was areas like that in Sword and Shield, but even this like just seems so, you know, vastly different in terms of the biomes and stuff like that. It's actually pretty cool. Well, I mean, I think... Do you, do you find the... 
I was just going to say, I think part of the reason that people are having such joy with exploring things is because there aren't those pre-expectations there um, because the game is so different. We don't know where to go to find a piplup. <laughs> we don't know when we're going to run into a Pikachu or we don't know where these Pokemon are going to be. So because it is so different, um, our expectations or our understanding of how we're going to go about playing the game is is fundamentally undone which is nice because it does mean that every time you come to a new area you're looking forward to seeing what pokemon you're going to get a chance to catch and all that stuff so i I'm, I'm very very impressed with how they've gone about designing this game and how they've made sure that there's something there for existing pokemon fans obviously because you get to get all your favorite old pokemon and and hunt them down and stuff but at the same time they've made sure that this game is one that new players can get into by modernizing no a lot of the... There's no Polytoad. What's this about my favorite Pokemon? There's no Polytoad. <laughs> well, they got rid of the trash. They got rid of the trash Pokemon. <laughs> There's only 200 or so Pokemon in here. Like, it's a really small number, which is actually in this game. And in some areas, it does actually feel like it really needed a few more types like you start seeing the same pidgey bird thing and you say start seeing the same little electric rat blue thing and you know it just gets a bit boring after a while in some areas and then you're like oh cool a new pokemon and then it's like a rare one so it just disappears after five seconds and you're like oh okay well i mean the thing is that you're not looking to there might not be the same variety of pokemon there but you're definitely incentivized to catch a lot more of them and to try and hunt down a lot more of them there's big versions of pokemon there's there's all kinds of rarities to deal with and the fact that the mission structure requires you to catch you know 25 of the same type of pokemon or defeat the x number of pokemon so the game's more built around that replay value with each pokemon rather than just throwing an unending number of new pokemon designs at you which i prefer because it does mean that they don't go to some of the ridiculous outlandish looking pokemon that they were starting to with later games uh, as somebody that grew up with the early editions or the early versions of pokemon pokemon blue and silver and all those kinds of ones what i liked about pokemon was that they were taking real animal designs and obviously tweaking them but most of the pokemon were in some way familiar to the real world in some way and i felt like they were losing that a bit with the more recent games but this one also brings that back in a big way so rather than catching a duck that looks like it was designed by the Final Fantasy guy to have a million different jagged edges and uh, just be a weird thing. Now you just yeah, throw a blue duck thing. That's a pretty good duck design, the blue duck one. Whatever that Pokemon is. <laughs> I wish blue duck. The swan. Yeah, like... Yeah, it's a swan. Is it a swan? It evolves. It's in the lake. It evolves game. into a swan. It's like the ugly duckling Pokemon. Ducklet. Ducklet. It's ducklet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, blue duck thing. <laughs> ducklet. Ducklet. I love that. Sorry. It's just. Yeah, but Matt, Pokemon. how awesome would it be? Would a modern approach to this not set in like old-timey pokemon world but like a modern version of this sort of style and you're walking behind some like 
dead end alley where, where like Pokemon, it's like end of the world because of global warming and everyone's just horrible to Pokemon. And you find some rubbish on the side of the streets and you're just like, you know, this isn't my Pokemon, but I'm going to catch it. Like, how awesome would that be? Well, they may well do that next. I mean, this one does go back to the very origins of Pokemon. The next one may go to the end of Pokemon. Who knows? Um, they've set Actually, themselves Matt, up. Can I ask? Uh, I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on the quest structure. Because I saw it looks very Western MMORPG kind of style, like do 50 of this thing and then do give me five of that thing. Well, that's why, that's why I was saying earlier, I, I get a strong Monster Hunter vibe to the way that it does those things. So mm. you'll accept your mission at base camp and then you'll go to one of the areas that you've unlocked or whatever and you'll have uh, kind of a remote base camp that you start at and you can go back there to refresh your Pokemon and buy uh, buy new potions and whatever if you need to. Uh, and then you're out in the field, you're collecting bits and pieces that you use to craft potions and additional Pokeballs as you're out and adventuring. And yeah, it's there, there is that target there that you need to aim for, but you're also given the freedom to go looking for those rare Pokemon and whatever if you want to. So. Because uh, that's also stuck more in the Pokedex like sort of stuff. Like in the Pokedex, you have to get like up to 10 points. And that's basically all you need to complete that entry in that Pokemon. You can go up to 25 or whatever the maximum is, but you're essentially you have to get 10 points and your Pokedex entry is done. And there are things like, okay, well, you have to catch this Pokemon three times, six times, ten times, sort of thing. And then eventually like that's adding up the points. Or you have to see this Pokemon's various types or battle this Pokemon and then that sort of gives you various points and eventually you get the 10 points and you're done the entry so in terms of that sort of grinding aspect you know you can really just do the bare minimum and just get that 10 points what I found is a lot of the other missions have been kind of more fun-ish and less mm -hmm. collective on like some of the missions have been like there's some garden patches for example and they're like you know give me some Pokemon which are you know you know, so I can grow my crops sort of thing, like a water Pokemon to water the crops or, a, you know, a ground Pokemon to bash the ground in. Or, you know, there's like this guy which is like, I want to, you know, a bug Pokemon, that one which eventually grows into either a moth or a butterfly, depending on what yeah, cascoon it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's like, give me one of them. And, he, and he's probably going to eventually end up with a billion like moths. And he keeps saying they're going to be butterflies. Like there's more, <laughs> <laughs> there's more that sort of thing I found so far. And there's things like, you know, the clothing, you know, shop, for example, always goes, well, I want some inspiration, go out and find X Pokemon sort of things. So yeah, it is, I, I think it, it's a, it is, it is very much, um, much like Monster Hunter there as well, that if you do want to spend hours and hours going through and completing it, then you can do so. But it's also structured in a way that if you do just want to kind of go through it, the the grind isn't too extensive. So yeah, I thought they've hit a the right balance there. It does start slow, I think. Um, I was doing it on a stream myself and that was maybe the second hour of play and it does start off quite slow and people were commenting about that as I was doing the stream, but already it is starting to pick up further for me. And definitely uh, the conversations I've seen with people who are further, much further on down the track than I am uh, suggest that there's quite a lot of variety there and you never feel like you're too tied into just throwing Pokeballs at Pokemon 
over and over and over and over and over again. So that's a good thing. Um, I, I, I like also just the, the way that the world has been streamlined in a lot of ways to facilitate movement through it. For example, if you are going to do that grind now, then you don't have to wade through grass looking for random Pokemon or hoping that random Pokemon will pop up. I do like that they've kept the grass as a mechanic in the game, but now it's a stealth thing. So you can use it to sneak up on Pokemon and improve your chances of catching them. Uh, I like the fact that you don't necessarily have to battle a lot of Pokemon to catch them because if you, especially if you do get the drop on them, if you can sneak up on them, then just tossing a Pokeball at them is enough. Um, yeah, just running around the levels, just throwing Pokeballs everywhere and you just walk up to the hill and then you've <laughs> catched like 50 Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, so it, they've, they've streamlined all of that and it's just, it, it's definitely different, but every change that, that they have made within the game has been for the better of Pokemon, I think. Which is good. Do you see them continuing this style in future games, or do you think this is more of a one-off thing? I have no idea, to be honest. I think that given how successful this has been already, like the response to this has been really positive. And in fact, it's been so positive that a lot of the Pokemon fans, and we're talking about the Pokemon fans is in the toxic trash that kind of ruin every Pokemon launch there is. Um, the Pokemon fans have actually been drowned out by people who are just enjoying the game. Ooh, there seems like to be that. a... I'm seeing genuine positivity about this game, which is rare for a Pokemon release these days. There's nothing more miserable than a Pokemon fan. And they're just being silenced by how many people are actually enjoying what they're playing with this game. So I think that Game Freak will take that on as feedback to suggest that this is what people want. And they'll probably try to look for other ways to build on it. In saying that, there are things that I will miss from the traditional Pokemon formula. For one thing there are very few trainer battles in this game compared to a Pokemon game. I always liked going down the road and battling a bunch of kids or people saying, I like shorts, they're comfy and stuff. Do you like <laughs> shorts? Comfy and easy to wear. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked those things. They, they were, a lot of the humor of Pokemon came through those encounters. And mm. I liked that they were so integral to the way of raising up your Pokemon that you would fight these battles and you would really come to master the Pokemon. You'll understand its strengths and weaknesses right down to every hit point. You know? You'd be able to make calculations to the most finite degree because you just had such a deep understanding of how your Pokemon battled. In this game, leveling up just happens in the background <laughs> in a lot of ways that you get experience points for catching a Pokemon even if you don't battle it you get experience points for battling a pokemon but your entire team gets those experience points when you defeat the rare trainer everyone levels up a whole bunch um so there are pokemon that are in your team that you won't use but will end up evolving all the way up to whatever and there i i will miss the original way of doing pokemon i think what they've done here is fine uh, and so certainly suits the game that they've created but yeah there, there are things that makes me want or at least hope that, poker, that that Game Freak at some point decides to go, hey, let's do a game kind of, you know, in the in the mold of our tradition as well for the nostalgic because I will be well, I'd say one of those that will like, buy that. The way they were thinking of Sword and Shield, like you've got the open areas and that. So it's always been their intention to eventually move off to something like Pokemon Legends where they've got, you know, those open areas. So I think that, 
is going to ultimately still be in the game. I mean, the open the open areas is is just all around great. Like I, I think that that's always been what Pokemon should do, because Pokemon is all about exploration and and moving through the world. Uh, and this way, they've the the open world approach has been really good. It's it's more just the way that you manage and battle Pokemon. I think there's there would still be demand again among the nostalgic like me for. A more traditional approach to Pokemon combat as well and leveling up and stuff. I'm curious, and I'm looking like far, far into the future here, but I wonder if we end up in a Final Fantasy situation where there's like part of the series is catering towards the old school style design, like a party job system crystals, and part of it is centering on the new style of design, sci-fi, storytelling, funny costumes, right? I wonder if that's something that Game Freak will have an interest in doing having I'm, one arm to cater towards the old fans and one arm to make new stuff. I'm not, I'm not sure, to be honest. And I guess we'll probably talk about this in the next section because we'll, we'll, uh, this section is running on, but the management of the Pokemon franchise is one that fascinates me. And they definitely do need to find ways to appeal both to the older end of the millennials, like me, that... Um, that have grown up with Pokemon since day one, while also finding a way for what is fundamentally a series aimed at kids to keep finding new players, <laughs> because that's gonna be a challenge. That's, that's gonna be a real challenge for them. They've got this really broken, this really um, large gap in their target demographics now. They do have a couple of sets of demographics to target and appealing to all of them is going to be really hard. It's not like a Yokai Watcher, for example, which is just for kids. It's not like a yeah. Persona, or sorry, not Persona. Well, Persona too, but it's not like a Shimagami like Kensai, yeah. which is really guys. just for for the older people these days. And so, very, very edgy teenagers. Or very edgy, yeah, very angry teenagers. But you know, the the demographics for those games are more clearly defined. Pokemon has a much larger range of demographics that they need to try and appeal to, and it's going to be a challenge for them. Um, I don't think that this game is the solution to all of that in itself, but I do think that it has done a good job of reaching across the divide. The, uh, the older players especially seem to be enjoying it. Um, the more old school Pokemon fans are enjoying their chance to catch Psyduck or whatever, just chilling in the water, relaxing, being Psyduck. Uh, the younger ones, I don't know. Uh, there, there might be an issue with the graphics there, I think because the graphics are certainly contentious. And I think we'll talk about that too after some music. So we'll go to some music now, I think, and then we'll come back and talk about the rest of the issues to do with Pokemon. Trent, pick a Pokemon song. A Pokemon song? The two very best albums. No, uh, let's go with something from Legends. Uh, there's some really good like um, music in Legends, so that would make the most sense.
Welcome back, everybody. All right. So for the final section of this podcast, we are going to talk about, well, talk about more Pokemon, I guess. But we might segue into, I guess, a broader discussion as we'll get to soon enough. Firstly, though, we do need to talk about the graphics of Pokemon Arceus because that has been probably the most contentious part of the game. That is the bit that people have been picking on as the one thing that they haven't enjoyed if they have otherwise enjoyed it. And uh, certain people have been using it as a proof that Nintendo sucks and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Anyway, it's exhausting. This is the discourse, but it is what it is. Let's deal with it. I think Pokemon Arceus is a very attractive game. (laughs) I think it is gorgeous. Um, And I'm not sure if I'm just seeing stuff that other people are not seeing or if people have been a little bit disingenuous to make a point, which is probably the case. But I think um, this is one of those examples of art direction, trumping technical brilliance. I think it's interesting that it's releasing so close to another open world that puts things the other way around in Horizon. And we've all seen how good Horizon looks, but Pokemon Arceus for me is a more visually appealing game simply because it is light and abstracted and focuses more on that art direction side of things and being a creative individual work that hasn't that doesn't look like something I've already played a thousand times before. So yeah, and the Pokemon look great. They look really good. Yeah, well so my hot take is that the game looks fine. Like it's okay. But I would have wanted them to commit harder to the to the watercolor aesthetic if that's what they were going for. I think that it's not quite stylized enough when you, before you brought up the, the idea of Monster Hunter, either stories or Rise had much more cohesive visual aesthetics. Whereas I think this game is trying to blend Pokemon style anime characters with that more stylized watercolors artwork. Yeah, and, and I think it I, I seems think- weird. I think you're totally right there. I do think that they could have done it better in terms of making it clearer what aesthetic they were looking for. Uh, as you say, the, the watercolour or the pastel kind of kind of soft use of colour throughout the game could have been clearer. And certainly there are technical issues with it. Like if you're going to make this massive open world where you can stand at a mountain and look out and see something kilometres away that you're going to walk <laughs> You towards, need to actually see the thing. <laughs> Well, that and not having pop up, you know, 100 meters in front of you when you actually start to to walk towards that goal would be a good thing. And it does it does break the immersion quite a lot to have just trees popping up out of nowhere uh, when you're just about to run into them. That is those are issues that I haven't had really as explicit since the early era of Dynasty Warriors, where you just land in front of an army and they just come out of nowhere. They just pop into existence. <laughs> Uh, to two meters in front of you and you had to deal with that 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 is immersion breaking stuff and I certainly think that they could have done it better but I think the intent was right and I think the the art direction not the execution but the art direction is really good well it's very much like uh, Breath of the Wild in terms of it's a very similar you had to do it also I had to do it and also (laughs) 
You, you everyone, had to let's go back do to, it. Let's go, let's go back five spaces where we talk, where we were talking about the Pokemon story. There is a section in this game where you talk to this person and it's like, oh, the Great Calatomy had like, like, happened like a hundred years ago. They know for a fact that people are comparing this to Breath of the Wild. They know for a fact that the story is similar, that the aesthetics are similar, that everything is similar about it. The gameplay design is similar. Like you've got the, um, Areas where it's all of a sudden you've got um, the the time warp zones. They're obviously the things from like um, you know Breath of the Wild with the you know the the things. Your, your angry Pokemon. They're obviously the the guardians. And you know you've also got random people with shoot out of nowhere, which are the bad guy team, and they're like the you know, the, the, the Unicorn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's a it's shot no, for shot if, if, Breath if, of the Wild. If the game was genuinely genuinely going to be like Breath of the Wild, you'd use your Pokemon twice and then it would break and you'd never get to use it again. <laughs> oh, that so was, sad. That would be that would be Breath of the Pokemon. I'm so... <laughs> Pikachu has uh, has uh, collapsed. <laughs> never, oh, never, no. never never use Piplup because he's in pieces on the ground there. That's <laughs> they thought about that. I'm sure they probably they did. definitely considered it. Well, I've mean, got hyper beams. <laughs> I mean, I, I was joking, but the fact that you have to catch so many of the same Pokemon and you actually have to that's get, what rid, was, get, yeah, rid, yeah. get rid of the, a lot of them by giving them to people that give you quests and stuff. There is a certain commoditization <laughs> to, to the Pokemon system, which is not that dissimilar to the way that weapons and whatever were commoditized in. Uh, in Breath of the Wild to be just something you, you used as a very temporary thing. Um, there, there's Actually, that kind of transient nature to, to the use of Pokemon in this game. So I, I guess... I, I need the Pokemon's breaking mod for for uh, Pokemon Legends. It needs to be a thing now. I guess <laughs> since Trent brought it up, I mean, the comparisons there are obvious. I think I, I think that people that are making those comparisons are, are doing so not... They're, they're not making stuff up in... in drawing those comparisons but by the same token i do think that this game does have its own identity distinct from breath of the wild i think that comparing the two uh, talking about the two as though they are the same is like saying well every impressionist is the same artist you know monet and well, well, are exactly the same people is, on the fact that the brought breath of the wild up what i did actually want to say is that it was in terms of the art style it's like breath of the wild you can take great pictures and it looks great you're in a sunset and you know this is gorgeous art or you could be sliding mm. down the mountain in like the this you know the fog and have like you know no textures everywhere and link looks like he's about to die like it's the same thing in pokemon <laughs> like <laughs> yeah it looks good when it's not moving <laughs> but yeah. actually it's interesting you bring that up matt because i feel like you are one of the people who hates breath of the wild comparisons the most like when um what was the game? Um, Genshin, Genshin Impact. Impact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And everyone was like, oh, it's kind of like Breath of the Wild. And you were like, no, it is not. And lots of open world games took cues from Breath of the Wild. Like they introduced Climb Everything or they introduced like various elements. And I feel like you were one of the people Sonic who were saying, no, it's not. The, uh, landscape. <laughs> well, now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah now, now every every single game where you stand at the top of the mountain looking out over a landscape, people are creating Breath, Breath of the Wild. Of the Wild. It's like, it's the new Dark I, hate, I hate to say it to you, but Breath of the Wild didn't invent that. Um, I, 
yeah, I, I'm not a fan of Breath of the Wild comparisons in general. I do think that Breath of the Wild was or is and will be in the future an enormously influential game for good reason. It is mm. an excellent game and it should be influential because it does a lot of things that people should be taking inspiration from. If more games were like Breath of the Wild, then I would be playing less crap games. But I think taking inspiration from the mechanics is one thing. To, to suggest that this art style is in some way this unique thing that Breath of the Wild has intellectual ownership over is ridiculous. All it is, all Breath of the Wild is, is a cell-shaded um, watercolour painting <laughs> rendered yeah, in cell-shaded pastels. Yeah, it's pastelli colors, it's soft and it's stuff. And Breath of the Wild invented none of that. <laughs> like these are things we're talking about art styles that are hundreds of years old and uh, dramatic scenes and the use of landscapes as a as a thematic element that is thousands of years old. Like this stuff, there are wall paintings, there there are cave paintings done by native peoples <laughs> that you would look at that I swear a Breath of the Wild fan would look at it and say, hey, they've copied Breath of the Wild. It's the <laughs> A lot of this stuff is just timeless to art, and all, all, all Breath of the Wild is 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 a is a good work of art. I think what it does say is that the games industry is so obsessively married to the idea of realism and hyper realism as an art aesthetic yeah. that the minute a game breaks with that, if it's a good enough game, then people attribute an entire art style to it when really it's just a, an example of an art style and. I mentioned Horizon earlier before. Horizon doesn't have a visual identity of its own because it is just a blockbuster AAA hyper-realism style game. It has robots and sci-fi elements and whatever, but they're all done within the context of trying to be as really realistic and grounded as possible, whereas Breath of the Wild is something just slightly elevated, and that is unusual, which is why people make that comparison. So that's where the Pokemon thing came from, um, I think. I don't think that they're anywhere near as directly comparable as people say. It's just that they both happen to have this pastelli watercolor style aesthetic. <laughs> and well, that's, what, that's what annoys me about the comparison. Uh, Breath of the Wild for its franchise was revolutionary right it completely warped the way that we think about zelda and you like you were saying it's very influential do you see arceus as having this role for pokemon or is it more just kind of like a sideshow well i think the thing that people will remember about arceus the most is, is still the pokemon like the core of the game is collecting these cute little critters and then battling with them that is that is the context everything else about pokemon is about delivering that to people hmm. and that that was something that was already enormously <laughs> influential from Pokemon well before. Uh, you look at stuff like Nexamon and all the other kind of Pokemon clones that are out there these days, they all just draw inspiration directly from you know, the Pokemon games. Whether some indies start to create uh, Arceus-style Pokemon collectors, a collection, Arceus-style monster collection and battling games, remains to be seen. I would suggest that probably they will once the technology gets to the point that they can do it so relatively easily. Until then, I think we're going to keep getting uh, games like Nexomon, which uh, just top down, run through the grass to fight the Pokemon and have interesting battles with interesting looking critters. I think that's going to be still the standard. So I think that the overall franchise remains every bit as influential. I think it'll take a while before other developers try and do what Arceus has done. 
But I guess that's a good way of segueing into our, our um, final conversation for this podcast. And that is on the management of the Pokemon franchise. As we kind of overviewed in the last section, um, Game Freak's got a bit of a challenge in that they've got a whole bunch of older dudes now, like me, who have been playing Pokemon forever. And then they've got to try and find a way of appealing to the young generation because ultimately Pokemon is a series that has been kids friendly <laughs> from, from the start. So taste change, people's generational sense of aesthetics change and all that stuff. It is actually very hard to create something that will equally appeal to millennials and Gen Zs, for example, let alone the next generation. So, And I mean, they don't have to. They could, they could genuinely just say, we're going to target younger audiences and absolutely print money. There's nothing forcing them to actually try and reconcile these two rabbit pops parts of their fan base and they could just ignore all the haters if they wanted to well they could they could but i think the, the thing that game freak is probably trying to avoid is having the situation where they end up with like a mickey mouse um where disney can't use mickey mouse in anything because there is no way for them to create something that will appeal to all the demographics that Mickey Mouse needs to. And mm. if they fail, if Disney was to create a Mickey Mouse movie, for example, and it didn't deliver what the boomer generation uh, Mickey Mouse fans had, but also the Gen Zs, if they were not able to resolve that conflict between the generations, then Mickey Mouse's value as a property would be greatly diminished. That's why they don't use Mickey Mouse. Mm. It's because they That's can't. Better. Yeah. And Pokemon is the biggest media franchise in the world. It, it makes more money than Mickey Mouse now. Uh, and managing that really does require that Game Freak find a way of continuing to appeal to everybody that has ever been a fan of Pokemon or will be a fan of Pokemon in the future. I'd I say find... Game Freak has worked this out. Uh, if you look at Pokemon Go, Pokemon Go brought in a lot of new fans or people which were like, okay, I played red or gold or silver and like the older people, which, and then they stopped playing Pokemon. Pokemon Go was just so very easily pick upable. People were able to play it on their lunch breaks. People were collecting themselves in groups and walking places. Like the amount of fans Pokemon Go brought you know, they've probably looked at that and go, that's our new fan base. Not people which are like, oh, I play like, you know, all the old games, you know, Pokemon is this, you know, high tier, you know, thing which is in my nostalgia thing, but I haven't played any of the new games. So, you know, who cares? Like, that's not where they're targeting. They're targeting Pokemon Go players. Pokemon Go players led to Let's Go games. Not so much for mm. older gamers, but for younger people where which were collected by the Pokemon Go craze. And it's like, this is a mainline game. This is what you're missing out on. And then, like, I don't mm. think there needs to be a Let's Go Johoto. Like, let's, the, the current, yeah, like, it'll be fun. But, like, you know, the, what Let's Go did what was set out to be. It was, like, bridging the generations. It was bringing them back into Pokemon with Pokemon Go mechanics. And then you have Pokemon Sword and Shield, which is the first major release outside you know, of the Pokemon Go craze. And then all of a sudden it's got, you know, new ideas. It's like, you know, we want to do these wild areas. We want to do this. We want to do that. And then it's like, mm. awesome. And that's just continuing that fan base. And then you've got Pokemon, you know, Diamond and Pearl, which really seems as a remake 
the only one which is, you know, it doesn't seem like, doesn't fit in the whole grand scheme of things because it's like an older style Pokemon. Yeah, you know, extremely faithful. Yeah, it's actually, on Diamond and Pearl, yeah. funny thing about that. So this was a couple of years ago, but when I was teaching, I saw one of my students had uh, a Giratina as their um, laptop wallpaper. And like I, I stopped and I noticed it because I, I thought, hey, the kids these days wouldn't know Giratina, right? And so I was like, why do you have that? And they asked me, oh, so do you play Pokemon Go as well? And I said, no, I played the game where Giratina was in, which came out before you were born. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's what's happening now is that I think you're right. They're having these games to act as streams or conduits to get people more interested in the franchise. And they'll, they'll catch people who like one thing and introduce them to another part. Like maybe even with Legends, they're catching people who like the open world style of let's say Genshin Impact but they introduce them to the, the battling style of the main series games. And so you get more interest that way. Whereas Well, Legends works really well in the sense that a lot of people with nostalgic ideas of Pokemon always want, like, like when Pokemon started to have your Pokemon out with you, it was like, oh, awesome. I've got a Pokemon with me and, with, and we're like a buddy Pokemon. Like yeah. that's all the nostalgic dream was, I want to see my Pokemon on the screen. Yeah, and it was that's always why the yeah, that's why it's collecting so much older players because, I think, yes, the mechanics are changing, but it's like, yes, I see my Pokemon. No, I, I think for me, I think for me, the the the, the nod to the traditional fans uh, or the older fans in Pokemon Arceus was more to do with, or is more to do with the fact that they're just dropping all the old Pokemon in there. They, you, do, you, do get, you do get a Psyduck within the first couple of hours of play. Uh, they you, you see a Pikachu pop out and I did that on stream and I almost yelled in glee. Like <laughs> you do see a Pikachu pop out pretty much instantly in the game. So they know that their older fans like the older style Pokemons and that's where they've gone to, to give you, to, to, to hook those kind of more traditional fans in there with the, the more classic yeah. designs. I think that's the, that's the thing. So, I mean, I, I think I, I do agree that Game Freak has been very clever at, managing these various demographics through not just the game releases but also the merchandise because pokemon merchandise is enormously valuable in itself uh they're one of the few game properties that has its own chain of retail stores because people just like to buy pokemon stuff and they've i i've seen this happen over the last couple of or the last decade or so since i've been going to japan and especially seeing a lot of this merchandise they've done such a great job of giving creating stuff that kids like so you know plushies and brightly colored lunch boxes and all those kinds of things you know, what you'd expect but they've also come out with this line of pokemon merchandise which is quite explicitly designed for people like me like older people with uh coffee cups and and things that are, have been quite clearly designed that they become they've come across as quite boring for kids i think but for older like fans the normal pokemon line yeah, it's it's more. It's not. It's definitely core. Like we're talking about Pikachu's and whatever on the things. It's just they're done in silhouettes and they're done in in ways that uh, would be appealing to to older fans. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like the Uniqlo aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, clothing. Clothing's a great example. Like the Uniqlo partnerships that they've had to create. It's the, very like muted. Yeah, understated. Yeah, so very like muted. You can, you can express what you like about it without being like, oh, this is my favorite thing. You know, it's like well, yeah, a way I mean, to participate. 
if for example cool? if, you, if you if you are a fan of yoko watch and i just bring that up because it was another one that was a kind of massive media property for a while so it's died off a bit since but if you were a yoko watch fan buying merchandise as a 38 year old guy like i am just feels stupid because you're not going to use it outside you're not going to go anywhere yeah, with it because it, it makes you feel like you're playing with kids toys or you you've got you you're dressing like a 10 year old um yokai watch doesn't really work for older people because there's there's nothing there for them but i have a travel mug which has pikachu design on it and unless you're looking closely and know it's a pikachu or whatever then you're probably not going to even recognize it as pokemon merchandise but yeah, I can engage with the hobby that way because they've created products that have been designed for people who've been playing Pokemon since they were 15 and Pokemon Blue came out and are still fans of it. And they're older now. They're just, you know, the, the reality is taste change and aesthetics change. And I don't want brightly colored kids crap anymore. <laughs> um, Part, part of me wonders how centralized that is, like how much the merchandise arm interacts with the game development arm. With I think I think it's pretty close. I, I'm pretty. I, you you wouldn't get to the position game freak scene without having a very tight control over the official merchandising. And it is uh, it is something that any property will have to deal with as it goes on. Um, how to how to keep those existing fans and how to continue to produce stuff for those fans while also finding mm. the, the younger audiences. I mean, to, to digress a bit here, but I'm already seeing that challenge with uh, Hatsune Miku is a good example because Miku has been around for 15 odd years now um, since she first hit the scene. And that means that people that were fans of Miku right back at the start are now 15 years older and 15 years is long enough time to, to change and potentially get get bored of the thing. So Krypton's yeah. now starting to hit that point where they need to consider how do they continue to engage with their existing fans while also making Miku relevant to an audience that is increasingly, well, they have more choices than ever now, you know, and they've got the Hololive and uh, virtual YouTuber fad going through for digital celebrities, which is taking some of the steam off Miku and all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, Pokemon's had to deal with the same thing that they've had all these competitors come up and try and be like Pokemon and how do you continue to remain relevant and interesting to both new and existing fans it's just a fascinating think thing like you could write in a really th difficult situation I think the, when you bring up Miku it reminds me of uh, you know like old classic bands that have really good albums from the, the 80s or the 70s but they try to make new stuff and all their fans at the concert just want the old stuff yeah I think maybe Miku's in a similar situation where the classic songs are to a lot of Miku fans what Miku is. And so they're not going to be interested in new songs or new ideas. And maybe that's the same problem with Pokemon is that I can think of a lot of old school Pokemon fans who do not want any new Pokemon. They just don't care about it. Well, yeah. And who, who wants all these kind of weird things that don't even look like real animals when you can just have a cider? You know, I, I'm one yeah, of those I, people. I just want, <laughs> I want the greatest hits. I don't want all yeah, this. I want my Where's my polychode? <laughs> Play the old stuff. Yeah, that's exactly. I am absolutely that guy. Um, and yeah, you're right. It is very difficult for Game Freak, but I think they're very smart at it, and that's why they've got the biggest media property in the world. Maybe that's why they're making all like the the regional forms. And a great example is the 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 Linoon that turned into just a Kiss fan in Generation Eight just forcing people to 
like new Pokemon because it's technically connected to an old Pokemon. Well, I mean, the other thing is that they've done a great job of, I think the other thing that Pokemon, the Game Freak company's done a great job of with is the broader media property. Like Detective Pikachu was a good example of a film that appealed to everybody, I think. Um, mm. It was, uh, compare that to the Sonic film, for example. I think- uh, I forgot Detective Pikachu happens. You've forgotten. It's a great film. I've... Oh, it's a good film. It just... and it's it, it's it... definitely a film that would appeal to younger people and also, I think, older Pokemon fans because it has... Yeah. It's one of... A, it's a small drip in the entire franchise, whereas I think the Sonic movie feels like it has to appeal... It has to encompass the whole thing. And Detective Pikachu can just be on the side being like, oh, yeah, he's a detective now, just for this one time. Well, that's that. That is true. Like the the Sonic film does feel like it's more integral to the Sonic property, whereas Detective Pikachu is this weird quirky thing that they could just play with. I think you're right there. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how the Mario film does with Nintendo managing that, because that's oh, another yeah. character. That's another character that is in genuine risk of of going Mickey Mouse on Nintendo if they can't continue to find ways of modernizing Mario. They've done a very good job of it so far, but. Yeah, that's Mario's, what I've been saying. So there's a timeline split with Mario. There's the there's the 2D Mario and there's the 3D Mario. And now the 3D Mario has split split into two timelines. There's like the small level 3D world Mario and the big level Odyssey Mario. And there's gonna keep splitting. That does seem to be the thing. That does seem to be Nintendo's approach is to literally make games for every different demographic <laughs> explicitly. Whereas I think Game Freak tries to engage with fans through each game on some level, like we've been talking about yeah, Arceus, so for example for you here yeah yeah Arceus, if... you know is a game that's designed to be both a franchise building thing get new fans in and then also appeal to the nostalgic nintendo's approach seems to be just okay we need to make a game for the nostalgic it's been a while 2d mario uh, we need to make one <laughs> we need to make one that the kids are going to love mario odyssey you know that seems to be their approach <laughs> I, I wish that the boardroom was just like that just like someone in the back corner is like pointing fingers like you mario odyssey you <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you jump out the window <laughs> so that that seems to be <laughs> that seems to be nintendo's approach it's worked so far who knows it's, if it's going to continue working but yeah I, I i find that how the management of these properties go to be absolutely fascinating um it just, it just, yeah, really interests me. I, another example is Final Fantasy. I'm always fascinated in how they've managed to continue to, to manage the Final Fantasy property. Uh, I'm more just, mixed about Final Fantasy. I think it's more just like an older fan thing. I don't know too many ways for younger folks to get into Final Fantasy anymore. I think, I think their approach with Final Fantasy is not to explicitly target demographics, but to make a game that is going to find people into perpetuity, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. So the I game think, itself is going to last. Yeah, so Final Fantasy X, let's just pick one. I mean, it applies to pretty much all of the Final Fantasies. Final Fantasy X was absolutely slammed by people when it first came out for a lot of reasons. I mm. distinctly remember it being a game that pissed off a lot of people. But Final Fantasy X has been the introduction to Final Fantasy for lots of people over a generation now, since. Mm -hmm. And you're starting to see that with Final Fantasy XIII as well. Final Fantasy XIII was absolutely slaughtered by the fans when it came out. 
but just over the last couple of years we're starting to see people rediscover or just start talking about it in a more positive light because i think these are kinds of as works of art they've been designed to be more timeless and yeah i feel like that's the way they've gone about approaching that i do think that both mario and pokemon and yoko watch and all of that those games are more designed to be products for the now and Hmm. i don't think that people would discover pokemon blue in fact i remember when they re-released pokemon blue on the virtual console there were a lot of people like what the hell is this (laughs) i don't remember pokemon being like this you know Pokemon Blue is really only for people that played Pokemon Blue at the time. And yeah. I think the Pokemon Arceus would probably be the same deal. It's, it's more yeah, about, for, for, for Game Freak, it's more about continuing to produce new things that people are interested in. Whereas with Final Fantasy, it's more about making sure that this game has a timeless quality to it. Yeah, and now that you put it that way, I respect Final Fantasy method a whole lot more because you're absolutely right. There's no reason to go back and play Pokemon Emerald unless you grew up with it. And in the same, like, there's so many reasons to go back and play Final Fantasy four or six or five. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And people do discover these games and realize that they're excellent games and they love them when they actually play them. That's why Square Enix can continue to re-release these things as pixel remasters or whatever and be justified in doing so. You're not going to see Pokemon and Blue. Make one little thing wrong with it, so we keep buying the next version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least this time they've they've made it possible to get that font out of the game. That was a good. Oh, did that they? was that was nice one. Well, there is, a, is hack. Nice there is a hack that you oh, can it's do. A hack. Yeah, but it's one that's gonna... not, it, it's not it's not onerous. It's not like you have to be a awesome computer programmer dude to to do it. It's very easy to follow a quick guide and get that text out of there. So that was nice of them. Um. But yeah, it, it is interesting. I do love that business side, I guess. I'm, I'm very anti-capitalist and all that kind of thing, but I do love the business side of managing these kinds of massive properties and how they go about it and the kind of thinking that would be involved in making sure that these games aren't just fun to play, but they continue to contribute to the property in a meaningful way. And I think yeah. Arceus is an excellent example of that. This is, this is Pokemon's back, really. This is... <laughs> Sword and Shield were much more controversial games that were easy to dismiss. I don't think Arceus is anywhere near as easy to just dismiss. You know what's interesting with Pokemon is if going forward, there is no two versions. Well, I don't, I don't think that's relevant anymore. And I think that Arceus is an acknowledgement that they don't need to do that anymore. The whole reason of having two versions way back when was to encourage people to buy multiple copies and to get out there and be social with friends and exchange Pokemon and battle and yeah, all that kind was, of stuff. It, it was the change and to make like a personal statement about what you liked. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many better ways to make personal statements now. So, And I don't think uh, they've kept that on as legacy thing right throughout, but I think Arceus is an acknowledgement that they need to move on from that. That was, there's no point. There is no point in holding Pokemon out of a game when you can just jump online and, you know, trade. Um, yeah. There, there's no encouragement for the, There's no value for them as developers either because the whole point of that system was to get people to be out there taking their Game Boys or whatever to 
the shops and to schools and stuff to actually actively use it in public. Whereas, yeah, and that was genius because it, it meant was. that people were talking about Pokemon more and it was, it was. getting more people aware of the franchise. But it, again, it I don't think that's necessary anymore. No, no, it's well. all—it's it's just an irrelevant legacy bit of um, management, product management that they just don't need to do anymore. So I think it was wise to get rid of that. I would be surprised if, other than perhaps some nostalgic throwback remakes down the track, if they remake Black and White or whatever, then we'll probably yeah. see them keep that. But for all new Pokemon games going forward, I just don't see them doing split versions. They're also going to run out of like paired concepts. Like I feel like X and Y was just placeholders and they were like, crap, we can't think of anything. And then Sword and Shield, everyone's just like, this is, you're running out of ideas, mate. Sword, <laughs> Shield and Gun. <laughs> like what else are they going to do? Apple and Orange? Well, you give them ideas, they probably will. Pokemon Lilo and Stitch editions. <laughs> Par- Mario oh. and Link. <laughs> all right so i think that's a good spot to wrap this podcast on thank you very much everybody for tuning in thank you for your insights and thoughts harvard and trent um get out there and play rks harvard so I waiting, i'm waiting for a time when i need it well you need it now <laughs> i can't consume any more matt we have like 30 rpgs you need you need the new generation of Psyduck. you need to see a psyduck just chilling in the, the water he just kind of relaxes you know the first time i saw a psyduck he was just he was just chilling he was in the river Absolutely. he was lying so on his psyduck back is my spirit animal he was just i love that like he's just lazy and doesn't care but also well no he's to... one of the pokemon that's cranky in this game yeah, when he needs to work, it's a headache and like psychics, everybody. It's great. The Murkrows are psy- psychos. Like, I was like, <laughs> I just randomly, a bunch of Murkrows just randomly spawned on me as they do in Pokemon. And, and then all of a sudden, I walked into like one and then like 20 came after me. But like, yeah, it was just like all over my head. They're like yelling, they're squawking, they're throwing things. I got hyper beams by some giant Pokemon. Like, it's crazy. Trink Trin- Trin got swooped by Pokemon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're going to have a wrap there who hasn't picked some music yet that would be me isn't it um okay so we're going to finish up this podcast with music from old school pokemon we're going to have the the ghosty town 